Well, it's a huge statement that's come out of Liverpool Football Club after a weekend with another shocking VAR decision. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Eric Ten Hag says there's group improvements off the back of another defeat. Liverpool come out strongly after the VAR farce at the weekend and the Premier League goalkeepers. Are they dropping in standard? My name's Roy Shanahan and I am joined by David Bogle and Neil Dobbs from thebigkickoff.com. And at the weekend, Liverpool conceded a last-minute goal to lose to Tottenham Hotspur in a game where VAR, VAR took centre stage again. And we have a little group chat, lads. Just put it up. Neil was taking it pretty hard, I have to say. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I only seen half of the game. So I, I went down to Liffey Valley to uh, get something. We went into Hogs and Heifers, got a bit of something to eat. I didn't realise they had screens there. <laughs> we we watched the football. The second half of Liverpool and Spurs was on. I didn't realise they were down to 10 men at the time. But you told me it was nine yeah, men. Yeah, because you like, were giving it the big one about them. And I'm trying <laughs> to the game. I was like, yeah. I'm not fighting. He's winding us up. He's no, fighting. I really didn't. <laughs> I was looking at the game. I was going, geez, Liverpool are sitting backing off a lot. They just can't get out. Spurs are amazing. <laughs> so... Um, so I hadn't seen the first one. Then when I seen Jota get sent off um, as well, then I was like, I was down to 10 men now. Now, now they're really kind of struggling. But anyhow, so it all came out then afterwards. Then when I came out, I went to the cinema. We seen uh, uh, Haunting in Venice. Not a bad film. If you like that Poirot thing, it's it's a good I'm film. i food like, uh, who cares about this football? Like? The, 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 <laughs> actually, I have to say, I got uh, tacos with uh, yeah. chili con carne and... They were nice yeah. at the start, but then got a little bit soggy towards the end. So nothing really spectacular. And no, look yeah. the soggy tackle. Yeah, don't, I wouldn't be too pushed on going. It's it's not it's yeah it's, it's nothing great. They had this door. My God, it's the heaviest door in the world. I went to go and push it with one arm, <laughs> and there was people behind me, and I was like, oh, that's, yeah. so I had to, <laughs> I had to you do the whole. It, you dropped down to a fork there because of the door. Yeah, I had to do the whole two hands pushing. Like I don't know, anyhow, Homer. Yeah. Remember this Homer and his stone. What was that stone for the stone cutters? Yeah. He was carrying around. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, uh, back to football. So listen, Neil. Yeah. Tell us what your thoughts are at the weekend because the, the VAR call for the goal was a huge decision, wasn't it? Yeah, well, obviously that was the biggest decision of the day, but it was the whole, and again, look, it's 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 hard, I guess, to be impartial when you're a Liverpool supporter and you're watching this performance, but it was like the referee from start to finish. There's, there's a couple of things on my mind about this game. The first way, obviously, was that the VAR wasn't communicated correctly. And now it looks like there's been a couple of extra errors on top of that. It wasn't just the referee and the pitch. It was, it was the VAR. It was the guy that's meant to be backing up the VAR. It was the lines weren't drawn on the field. It was the wrong communication that they thought the referee had given the goal on the field. And then it turns out that they had agreed with the referee's decision. And, you know, that's just snowballing on now to the point that Liverpool are out asking for the the audio clip to get a more clearer picture of how four or five little fail-saves all added up to the one calamity. Um, but for me, watching the game, like you're, you're looking at the... Someone was saying to me at a training tonight, 
the, the lines on the pitch are drawn with a, um, as in the grass lines on the pitch are done by laser, they're cut by laser. So even the lines on the pitch are accurate. When you're watching the game live, and you know that way where, thanks to VAR now, you can't celebrate a goal anymore. You have to wait that little, oh, 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 is he onside? And then you're going, yeah, he's onside. This is great. Everyone can see it. He's a mile onside. And then within 30 seconds, you're sitting there going, what the hell is after happening? And Gary Neville knew on the commentary, he knew there was something wrong. And he was like, something's not right here. And then the next thing you know, they're playing away out of the back line. And with 10 men after scoring a goal, you've gotten a, a kick in the rock. So, um, yeah, interesting game. I don't know the neutral, but I thought the referee, way too card happy. Everything was a foul. Everything was a card. And nowadays, you can't even have a, an opportunity when you're on a yellow card. The crowd are on them. The managers are on them. The players are diving all over the shop. It's like you get a yellow card, you may as well take the guy off the field because it's just too much of a liability these days. But the players are too clever and the referees are just too willing to get rid of them. So that was my opinion on the Okay, so we'll we'll talk about the yellow cards uh, towards the end of this conversation. Dave, just to go back on that decision, they've come out and they've said that it was a human error, that it's a mistake. I actually don't go for that myself, to tell you the truth, because human error would mean that they, they were focused, they were looking at what the job was at hand and they just made a mistake there somewhere. This looks like they were fast asleep and woke up in the middle of a controversy and hadn't a clue what to do. Yeah, and I think that's why the easy thing to do is just play the audio so we can finally see. Because, to be honest, uh, we, we hate to do it all the time, but you listen to video referees in other sports, the referee's in control the whole time. He's leading the way. The very first thing that should be on the radio is please check for the linesman's decision for offside. So even if they weren't paying attention, they know what they're looking for. And then when they make a decision, can you confirm that it's offside and we'll stick with the decision? Can you confirm? But by by all accounts, listening to Gary Neville, all he heard was check complete. Like there was very little. So it sounds like a calamity, as Neil said, but like simple communications that I think should be just the norm um, would have solved this problem quite easily and everyone would have been happy, apart from sports for obvious reasons. But um, a shambles. So play the tapes and really show it for what it is. Because, you know, like what Neville said, like there's a bit of a distrust now, you know, because the one thing that was fairly consistent was going technology and offsides. Because when the lines are drawn, whether it's by the fingernail or not, which do our heads in, at least it's consistent. And in this instance, now we have to rely on, are they actually paying attention to the game? Like how bad does that sound? Are, are they even paying attention to the effing game? Like, look, the conspiracy theorists can go bananas all they want, but at the end of the day, the likes of Mike Dean in an interview a couple of weeks ago doesn't help when he said he didn't bother telling the, 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 the referee he made a mistake because he knew he was already under a lot of pressure. Mm. So they're looking after each other as well. Was well, it something like this happened again, except this time now it's been caught out and found out? I'm not saying that's true or I don't necessarily believe it, but, you know, it's leaving them wide open. Like like the handball rule, like, you know, subject to interpretation, they're leaving themselves wide open and once again, we can use the term VAR, but it's not the VAR in this instance. It's the actual officials once again are making a mockery themselves. Yeah, it's never the VAR though, Dave. It's it's it is the people who are in no. charge of it who who yeah. use but it. But loads of people give out VAR and they want to get rid of it. Like it's never going away. It's as simple as that. It's a FIFA directive. It's not going to happen. But one thing's for certain is they have to stop being a clique. They have to stop looking after each other, and they have to do it right. And if one of them ends up getting sacked or one of them ends up getting demoted, so what? 
the game is much more bigger and Howard Webb needs to stand up and forget that some of these were his mates and if they're not doing a good enough job they pay for the consequences because the game's too big nowadays yeah, yeah. far too big and far too manageable like that two point difference or one point difference could be massive for places in Europe or places in the, cha- in the Champions race, the title race like it's huge like that's how big these games are nowadays and you've got the whole world watching and the amount of money that goes around like we all go on about these marginal differences and this game could be one of those where you look back and oh, go, Jesus, that, that, that could be the difference in, in a European spot or even the title race. Who knows? Yeah. I, I, you don't seem to get these issues right across, you know, in, in Germany and Spain and France. You don't ever hear ever of something this bad, like a catalogue of errors. And the weekend yeah. they've had, even the game there yesterday was as bad, they made another mistake. And it's down to people. It's down to people. Mm-hmm. And if the people aren't doing the job right, you have to move them on. You literally have an end of coverage, Yep. Yeah. Club. And this is it. So, Liverpool Football Club came out and they said they acknowledged the, the PGMOL's mm. admission of their failures last night. It said, it is clear that the correct application of the laws of the game did not occur, resulting in sporting integrity being undermined. We fully accept the pressures that match officials work under, but these pressures are supposed to be alleviated, not exacerbated by the existence of implementation of VAR. It is therefore unsatisfactory that sufficient time was not allowed for the correct decision to be made and that there was no subsequent intervention. That such failings have made a, has been categorised as significant human error is also unacceptable. Any and all outcomes should be established only by the review and full transparency. This is vital for the reliability of future decision makings as it applies to all clubs with learnings being made to make improvements to uh, to processes in order to ensure this kind of situation cannot occur again. In the meantime, we will explore the range of options available given the clear need for escalation and resolution. What do you take from that, Neil? Um. Well, there's a couple of things. There, there was a couple of little, well, I won't say leaks, but, but um, articles from from the last 24 hours saying that Liverpool are exploring options. And I don't know what options they have to explore. You're not going to replay the game. You're not going to get out an elevate. I think in this case, they've had a little bit of time to think from Klopp's comments after the game where he was calm enough and kind of called for change. And I think this is what this leads into. They're not just accepting, yes, we made a mistake. Okay, Grant, thanks for putting your hand up. Listen, lads, we appreciate you've made a mistake. I think they're going a little bit deeper on this. It's like they're out for a little pound of flesh to say, yeah, you've made a mistake, but it's not acceptable. It shouldn't be happening. It's happened once too often. And now let's put a little bit of corrective action in place here. Let's get some guarantees that something is going to change rather than just accept the error and move on. This is one too many. Strada broke the camel's back. So let's you know, actually get a resolution to, to, to this issue so that's what it feels like to me they want a little bit more now you're not going to get points but you might get favour you might get a little bit of something further down the line but at the very least you should be getting is maybe different personnel different people running it different after action events that will you know hopefully kind of solve this issue that we're not sitting here next week and the week after and the week after going yeah well again Barnes let us down so I hope that is what the resolution will be but I think Liverpool are kind of playing a, a, a cleverish game here to try to get a little bit more out of it. They're, Dave, they're, as Neil said, looking to get a little bit more. Is it your understanding that you think that they're looking to get a little bit more 
somewhat what the, Neil is saying because I, I, I think Neil's kind of saying and, and you, I don't want to put words in your mouth Neil are you kind of saying that you think Liverpool as a club are looking for something a little bit more or as a group as a Premier League looking for a little bit more I think they're taking the opportunity because it is them that's under the the, the kind of cost here now that they're people are looking at them to say right well what do you want and they have they, they've uh, what they've got a little bit of leeway here where they can't just come out on a random week and go by the way we want something different I think they're using their opportunity in the position that they're in everyone knows they've been wronged it's a massive wrong and now they're extending that to say okay what now can we do to change it? This is the time to change it. It's a little bit of gamesmanship, I guess, but it's the only chance they'll get to get some corrective action into place. And I think that's what they're trying to do. So, Dave, off the back of that, Liverpool uh, have been wronged on this occasion. Um, I suppose we could go back on every week since the start of the Premier League yeah. and go through all last year on teams who have been wronged and maybe don't get highlighted as much because this one just is a lot more disastrous looking um, because, because again, they're asleep at the wheel, really and truly. This is not, I don't, again, I don't think this is human error. This is some, this is just um, yeah, incompetence, I, really. I, I think it's one of these where we don't have to look at who the club are and I think we all have to just put our football fan hat on in this one. I genuinely think this is the opportunity to have a proper go. There's no way out of this one. They can't excuse themselves out of this. They have to play the tape. They have to show the inadequacy. And I think that's where this is coming from. Everyone who doesn't like Liverpool are obviously going, oh, Liverpool always the victim in this instance. I think we just have to get over that for a minute. And just this is the one where whoever it may be against, this is the one where the clubs can finally have their go. Because... I think I think the club are doing the ranting and raving. I think that's the one disappointment on Saturday. I say everyone as soon as the whistle blew, ran straight out to get the popcorn because Klopp is going to come on and go absolutely <laughs> bananas. And then he played a blinder and you're like, get to bed. What? He didn't do anything. So I think Liverpool are doing it for him because that's another thing. You know, a manager would have been well within his rights to have a go, but guess what would have happened? He would have been fine and, and worse. You know, like you're not even allowed to criticise poor performances. I'm not even because there's a way in need to do it and he could have done it the other day but potentially he would have got fined and that's why he mentioned it. So once again it's almost a bit like we're bigger and better than everyone else. We're infallible. But in this case this is the chance and Liverpool rightly shouldn't really get get anything out of it because that's the way football's been for the hundred and odd years it's been going in, in the football league. Many a time goals are perfectly onside and they were missed and that's just the way it is and in this instance Liverpool will just have to take their medicine and say yes they messed up but here's the chance to really kind of rub it into their faces and make some potential changes that can keep everybody happy. And I think so that this, this could instance, be, Dave, this could be the one that really pushes for the audio to be there correct. all the time so we can hear, yeah, you know, on match days. Exactly. And maybe that's where we can get this out of it. Like, so that you can be listening to it live a bit like what you see in the rugby or a bit like the way the commentators can hear it. Maybe the football fans can hear it too or a bit like in Formula One where you hear them talking to each other. It might be a little bit delayed but at least it can be done as long as it's not edited kind of thing. But this is the chance because like, like the only way PGMOL are going to come out with any, like they're probably not going to come out with any credibility on this anyway, but to have any chance of building any kind of trust back, they're going to have to play it to see just exactly how it went wrong. And I'd say there was, I'd say there was next to no communication. Neville didn't really want to say too much, but you could tell there was very little talk and all he heard was check complete. Like, and mm. what was he checking? No one, he hadn't a clue, but he kind of knew something went wrong. 
Um, so yeah, I think deep down that's really the best they're going to get. Liverpool aren't getting it nowadays, and I think they know that as well. But it's a chance for the clubs to be able to bloody the nose of the PGML because they love doing it the other way around. Absolutely, they need to keep. Neville played a blinder, by the way, Roy, when he was announced. I don't know if you watched the after match, the, the post match, when they read out the PGML. I was watching the trailers now. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but Neville was a oh. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe that, Kelly. Oh, like he absolutely played a blinder. So the award of that evening, you, you were watching uh, a better actor in Neville than you've probably seen on your own t- on your own screen while you were back <laughs> going, So you set him up well. Um, so let's have a look at the, the the other decisions that were in the game because again, mm. I watched second half and um, Jota got sent off. I seen the other one where Jones got sent off later on that night, but I was watching the game and obviously the yellow card that Jota got first of all wasn't even a foul. Sometimes that happens. The second one, Neil, as you said, it, referees are just giving yellow cards for fouls now, and there there is no leniency. There is no right, that's just a foul. It, everything seems to be, has to be a yellow card and, and and they seem to have to go around and prove that if you make a foul now that the yellow card, it's gone, it's gone to the dogs refereeing wise and I'm not sure why they feel they have to go around yellow card and everyone. There, there's a pressure involved, right? I mean, again, this goes back to the years ago when you watched, you know, your Roy Keynes and your Vinnie Jones and these boys. There was a certain amount of leniency that builds up to a yellow card. And then when he got the yellow card, the ref would still have that kind of hop on to go, listen, you're on your last warning. And then if you did something stupid, you did something stupid. But like, Jota's tackle on a doggy wasn't dangerous. It was just a little clumsy. He was late. He didn't whip the feet off him. It wasn't like the professional foul one where the guy's running through the middle and you just clip his feet. Yeah. But it was immediately just a pressure. Oh, you're on a yellow and you've made a foul. Gone. And it's just, I don't know, how do managers handle this? There used to be an old saying, remember he used to get booked early, oh, he needs to use his experience now to stay in the field and to make sure, you know, he doesn't do anything silly. But in the professional game nowadays, and I, I'll give you a great example from a Liverpool perspective, when Sadio Mane was a pressing machine, the minute he got a yellow card inside the first half, your heart was in your mouth waiting for him to crash into somebody late. And it wouldn't be a cynical challenge. He's trying to press and he's trying to turn over the ball high up the field. Fabino would be another one where he used to get a yellow through the middle and you knew he was going to be on a knife edge for the rest of the game. So what are managers meant to do now? The minute a guy gets a yellow card, whether it's gamesmanship or whatever it is, they have to go, right, I'm seriously thinking of bringing him out. You're, you're ruining the game and you're, you're, you're bringing off these players on the basis that you know there's a little bit of cynicism and you know there's pressure. And it just makes it just makes a complete balls of it, in my opinion. I hate watching it and it's not just a Liverpool thing, you know, you should be able to get a yellow card and then have a certain amount of leniency rather than the whole bloody stadium putting pressure on the ref to send the guy off because it effectively ruins the game once that happens. Yeah, I watched the Manchester United game at the weekend. Similar thing happened. Casemiro got a yellow card earlier on. He made a tackle that was nothing. It was just a, it's just a foul. It was just one of them fouls. And all of a sudden there's players running up looking for a second yellow card and uh, there's a boon from their fans and what have you. But there's not, as you said, there's an awful lot of pressure. But the referee in that game used common sense and went, it's just a foul, get over it. Where for Jota's yeah. situation, he buckled. He buckled under all this pressure. And 
that's where you need common sense. And if that shows me, listen, we were sitting there, Jill was sitting beside me watching the game and she was going, look at the head in that referee. He just, he is angry. He just wants to go around book people. What is his problem? And I was like, yeah, exactly. Well, can I ask you a question here, lads, for a second? Let's pretend he didn't get booked first. Yeah. More often than not, that tackle is always booked. Now. The second one. Nowadays, much Dave. More, now, nowadays. So that's why the first one's unfortunate, but that happens a million times every week because players are coming nonstop. So the second one, isn't that much of a shock? I think it's just an, an, uh, an accumulation of everything else that's gone on. But if you really look at it, pretty much every time that is a second yellow card. So if anything, he deserves some blame too. He shouldn't have jumped in like that literally within two yeah. or three minutes. He's yeah, been that, watching the game. He's a clever player. I don't think... There's yellow cards going left, right and centre. Yeah, I don't think anyone's you know, saying... Some blame. You have to be You have to be clever as well because you are pl- you have to play yeah. within what you know the game is. Yeah. So I don't think yeah. there's a- anything there to say that Jota shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But what I would say is the game's gone to shit. I've seen where there's situations yeah. where players are trying to run a ball out from the back line and he's not even past his 18-yard box and a player will foul him, he'll bump into him and knock him over and, and yeah. whatever. And they'll get a yellow card from him. You're going, what, how is that a yellow card? It is just a foul. It yeah. is just a foul. And yeah. th- this is the problem. Yeah. They, they, they've they've allowed this to happen. And now, it, where it stems from is when someone got away from you and you took them down cynically, it was a yellow card. Now, and yeah. that's and I, I was happy with that. That was a good rule. Professional foul, yeah. yeah. It's kind of a professional foul in the middle of the park where you're, you know, you're being clever and all. Right, you deserve a yellow card. You have to take that on the chin. But now it's, if you do it anywhere, if someone's kind of gone by and you take a little bit of a challenge, it could, it could be on your own, their end line and, and they give you a yellow card and you're just going, like, where's the common sense in refereeing? And this stems back then to VAR because if they don't have common sense to be able to turn around and say, listen, you're, you're after going in for three challenges there now, you just need to take it easy because the next one's probably going to be another yellow card. So, you know, you're you're going to get a red and then you're off. So calm it down. It's not. They all seem to be, I'm going to show you what, what's going to happen. And it's all real stern and there's no calmness. And I think these referees are so tensed up that they're, the focus is so much on them now. I think there's too much pressure on them and I don't think they're able to cope with it. It's a, it's a zero tolerance policy, Roy. You're basically saying once you're on the yellow, there's a zero tolerance now. You make one more error in this game, you're gone. And you've gone are the days. Remember, like strikers used to always go, that's ah, a clumsy striker challenge. You know, the you know someone tracking back and whips a guy's feet out from under him. Mm. It used to be defenders then that got double punished because you were defending in the one v one. Nowadays, it's just anybody. Yeah, like Jota was on the line. There was no danger. Your man, your doggy wasn't going to run in on goal. The contact was so minimal. Jota was even thinking, did I even touch him? Like he flicked him and it wasn't a whack. He was late and he missed time to challenge. But the, the consequences for that is removing any sort of physicality from the game. And just as a sidetrack in that, all the pros were coming out on the Jones decision they sending off saying, listen, I know it looks back in a still, but you've got to understand it's still a contact game. Professionals know that. But yet they should be saying on the same thing with the Jota scenario or any other of these little fouls that accumulate to a yellow card. It's still a contact game. Allow it to go a point before you feel I need to draw a line now. Now it's a yellow card and now this guy is definitely gone. It's just it just comes down to a referee's common sense. Yeah. I Dave, you, you tell me what you thought of the Jones sending off. I looked back at it 
twice because the first first replay that I seen, I was watching it when I got back home. It wasn't a great one. Anyone yeah. who goes in tackling with studs towards the ball is risking yeah. that kind of situation, are they not? Listen, in the greater scheme of things, um, I think it was Casemiro was one of them. It happened on three or four occasions in the last six months to a year. Look, as soon as I seen it going over the top, regardless of how it went over the top, I knew where he was going. So it's another one where are we should we should we be that shocked because it's happened before? Like some, see, a lot of people don't remember some of this stuff because they don't really pay attention. They just listen to the headlines and copy and paste and listen to whatever the experts and in inverted commas are saying online or the fucking clickbait websites that are useless. You know. It, let's be honest, it, it's always given as a red, whether we agree with it or not. I agree with everything Neville said. I think it's without shadow of a doubt when you see it in the highlights. You could tell he was trying to go for the ball. He was a bit above, like you said, uh, Roy. And then, of course, he rolled over and it looked bad because he got him on a jarring leg. I just think they don't Still know how no to skill. tackle, Dave. I don't, I never, yeah, yeah, like, no, I'd, 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 I'd never well, go in in a tackle with the studs shown like that. Always went in. I don't you, think it was really in this one. I think yeah, but it's bad. It's, the it's the technique that he's going in. He's stretching. He's putting yeah, his feet out. Enough. He's not going for the leg. He's gone for the ball and he's rolled over the ball. Yeah. And that we've seen that before. That happened, as you said, with Cas- Casemiro. But that technique of going he in, was, which are... You could say with Casemiro, he, was, he, was, he had his two feet off the ground. It was a big difference. You know? It's still the so same, it's still the same technique. Up. It's going in which to get touch really, the ball, which are studs. Yeah, but you're going in yeah, trying but it's to. It's a different technique when one is standing and one is it's sliding the, in. It's the wrong technique. It's the wrong technique. So you you, you yeah. can't you can't oh, no, go in, listen. and it's and it's a, it's actually a lazy technique because you you're not in the right yeah, but, position to go in for a challenge, and you know then that you're going to go in with the studs shown. I think that's getting a bit too over the over the top on it because like there could have been a slight movement to the ball. Listen, you watch him. Don't look at the ball. You watch him. You can see what he's trying to do. I am not defending him. I understand and I don't necessarily agree. I think it's just one of those tackles now that is just always going to be ascending off and I've just learned to accept it, just like unfortunately with others. But like it happened on far too many occasions the whole game. Like, like no one probably noticed this because Gary Neville or whoever didn't mention it. But Petro Paro didn't even look at the ball when Andy Robertson got booked. He jumped into him knowing what he was getting. He played for that foul and got it. Mm. But no one will mention it because the big wigs or the experts didn't mention it. But if you go back and watch that as well, he doesn't look at the ball in any way, shape or form. Robertson is looking up at the ball the whole time. His arm is up to feel where he yeah, is. Yeah. And Pardo waits and just jumps straight into him and grabs his face immediately. But of course, because the Nevilles of this world or any of them didn't mention it, everyone ignores it. You know, this is what professional footballers, even Liverpool players, are doing every other to make it more and more impossible. And then it's all he look at how, how quickly he went down once he tripped himself over and he's screaming at the top of his lungs because they're trained they train themselves to do it or they're trained by their coaches to do it. It's mental. So it's the same with Jones. It's the same with Madison. It's the same with Millie. Madison did when Dave Madison was down injured and then got, then had a little whinge and realised they were in possession of the ball and just got back up and it like never that. happened. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that's the, just just Roy on that on the Jones thing. I don't know if you if you mentioned it there, but the uh, when the referee went over again, Var having a great day when they went over to the screen, the first still on the screen that the referee <laughs> seen was the leg <laughs> bending and the studs on him. And at that point, if I was even 50-50 and maybe even completely biased yeah. on I know Jones would be okay here, the minute you saw the still, I don't blame the referee for sending them off because no. if you see that, you can't erase that out of your mind. 
the bend of the leg and the studs on him, he was gone. He didn't stand a chance. And I think VAR did a number on him there. They absolutely sewed him up like a kipper with that first image. Okay. So you can see how, how tricky it is for uh, VAR uh, if you have difference of opinion on, on, on instances like that. Um, okay, right. We go to Manchester United because Eric Ten Hag came out today before the Galatasaray game and, uh, quote, said that there's group improvements uh, off the back of the defeat uh, to Crystal Palace at the weekend. A 1-0 defeat where they had over 75% possession in the first half and something like 82% in around that uh, in the second half. Dave, you assessed Manchester United for me um, before I blow up. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I suppose as a manager, he has to be deemed to be Positive, uh, yes, they were quite dominant in a lot of it, but it was still fairly toothless uh, in, in the greater shape of things. I think, um, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't, um, I don't know where he's so positive about it. Um, still, uh, once again, Rashford's getting the brunt of everything, being selfish, this and selfish, that. Highland looks lively. But his main job is to score goals. Who cares about everything else? Amrabat playing left back is a head scratcher. Um, I've seen Malassia out running uh, with the, uh, at the live training session today, so he's not injured. So he's one of his players. Why isn't he playing left back and Amrabat in the middle of the field? Because ironically, they win it, albeit against the Palace Reserves the other day. But Amrabat with legs, like I said to you about Fred last week, somebody with legs is in the middle, and all of a sudden, Casemiro scores two goals and he comes alive again. Um, another one step forward, two steps back. Is, again, like, like I don't know where to go really because we can we can try and shine a shit, but it's still a shit at the minute. Like it, it could and should turn around. There's a lot of bodies coming around, coming back, and maybe he might be able to get a stable side to make them as organised as they were last year. But it might be too late again. It can't it happens. But to sit there and try and put a positive spin on it today, if I was a fan, I wouldn't be happy because. It doesn't matter. You still lost at home to Palace, and if you want to be challenging or being higher up the league, you can you can try and make a positive out of a out of a game like that. All you want, it's it's not good enough as far as I'm concerned. I think you're better off just talking about the game ahead of you and don't look back too much. That's the problem, though, Dave. Um, and they they've been talking about every game going forward, and and none of the games have changed. Um, I've watched no. mo- I've watched most of the games so far. Toothless is a good. Uh, description for Manchester United at the moment mm-hmm. people are having to go at Rashford I think rightly so I think he's cruising um, I think Bruno Fernandes dips in and dips out I think when he dips in it's real quality um, I wouldn't be super harsh on Fernandes uh, but I do I mean people are going to uh, look at certain players the biggest thing that I got out of the weekend Neil was Matt, as, as I said to you they had well over 75% possession um, between the two halves uh, Ramos Hyland is a new centre forward I like him I think he there's something really good about him he holds the ball up really well uh, links up play really well sharp torn Manchester United got the ball on numerous occasions when I say numerous more than I can count where they would get a ball from one side to the other pass it out to Dallow on the right he'd have a chance to cross it he'd pass it back he'd go back again into the middle they go out to the left gets out to Rashford he'll turn he'll pass it back in again it's like watching Arsenal back a few years ago 
a centre forward cannot score goals unless he gets service. If Manchester United can't figure out that you can't pass a ball through a back eleven sitting on the edge of a box, they're kind of in trouble, aren't they? They are in trouble. And again, look, you can paint over whatever way you want, and I'm even looking at the raw stats here. I mean, I'd be very critical of Man United not having enough possession against the Brightons of this world. Whereas in this game, Palace come out with a game plan. Let's sit back. Don't, you know, overcommit and let's try hit if you hit them on the break. Like what is it, like seventy eight percent possession, a lot of passes, a lot of pass accuracy. But as you say, they're lacking a cutting edge. And I think it was probably was it two weeks ago there was a stat on Rashford that he had fourteen shots in a game and one on target. He was hitting Rosie from all angles. And that to me is the issue with them. They're lacking and I, I'd agree with you, by the way, just on Hoyland. He looks like he's something about him. He carried the ball there 50, 60 yards a couple of times. He's quick. He's strong. He looks aggressive. He looks like he, he wants to do something. But you've got to serve. You know, you've got to set up your team to serve that striker, to make sure you're feeding him, to make sure you're giving him what he wants. And my biggest criticism in most games watching Rashford is he's a very selfish individual. He loves going down the left, cutting inside. Sometimes it comes off, goes in the top right corner. But he needed his job out there. And then when Anthony or Sancho, or whatever the hell they want to put in the right wing, it seems to be a disaster. They've got to be feeding them from the other side as well. And that's what they need to do. They don't seem to have that in them United. They seem to be reliant. We were saying it last week on Bruno Fernandes coming up with a big moment, on Rashford coming up with a big moment. And it's just not working on a consistent basis because you can't see where this project is going. Are they playing it down to the, to the width? Are they getting down the field and, and launching crosses in? What exactly is their game plan? And I, I still don't think Ten Hag has it sussed, and I definitely don't think the players have it sussed. And at the minute, it just looks desperate. Like that game, if you watch the highlights, which I only watch the highlights, Palace had a lot of uh, kind of little near misses across their goal and flashes across the goal. And once or twice they got lucky, I'll say, where they nearly put the ball into their own net. Mm. But with that much possession and 19 shots, you've got to be coming out of there with more than one or two goals. You just have to be. And, you know, the best, or at least one goal, the best teams do it. And at the moment, United are just falling short in that regard. Absolutely. I think if if, if you have someone like Ramos Highland, who is a big lad, and you send in 20 crosses, he's going to get on the end of a few of them, you know. And and they were set up to send in as many crosses as they wanted. You have to you have to use your, your strengths and... Yeah, they, I don't think they, they really did. And when you have Anthony Martial coming on, uh, Harry Maguire coming on and Donny van de Beek as your late substitutions, you're not really expecting too much there. Are you? So, oh, it, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not sure what the Harry Maguire thing was about. Again, Mason Mount, Dave, on who they've purchased, it does come down to your who you, who you take in and who you get rid of. I'm not necessarily too bad about who they got rid of, although someone like Alanga was full yeah. of energy and stuff like that. But Mason Mount, I I, I didn't see loads of Mason Mount, so I, I kind of convinced myself, well, maybe he, he's going to be really, really good. He, I've, yeah. I always thought, God, he, maybe I don't watch him, and I, I think he's, oh, he's all right. He's a bit like yeah. um, Madison and, you know, a few of those characters. I don't see that in them. <laughs> I don't see that in them. And no. when, the money that they've spent on players, they just haven't spent it well. Million. Yeah, like the thing with Mount is, yeah, 
you know, a solid start to his career when he went out and long with Derby and came back and brought that form into Chelsea. But then in the last year or two, he's gone exceptionally quiet. Could be a couple of different reasons. Who knows what they are? But unfortunately, he's bringing that form into United at the minute where... You know, he's only there. It's a brand new team. Uh, maybe getting a feel for it. But is, is he just one of these players who's comfortable and is quite happy being a professional footballer and a good wage? Or does he want to be an elite footballer? Um, a real elite footballer and perform every week? Because that's one of the biggest problems nowadays in professional football is trying to get them to perform week in, week out. And unfortunately, you know, you have a lot of them, as you, as you mentioned already. And I fear that Mount is another one of them. But it's now or never. Has he got his pride in himself? to stand up because I think he is good enough like a lot of players but it's just whether you can get them to do it on a consistent basis Are they playing them in the wrong position Dave do you think? Potentially but either or either or me he's a professional footballer you should should be able to see fights you should be able to see a bit of dynamism or whatever the word is he's a young fella he should be able to get himself around and make a name for himself and, and work his way up the ranks because he's only in the door See, at the moment, he's probably come in as a superstar footballer in his own right, and I only play a certain way, and if I don't play where I am, he could act like a spoiled choice. I'm not saying he is, but these are things that happen a lot now in the modern game. You're going into a club where you need to try and build your name back up again, and it's up to him to take control of his destiny as well as you know, convincing the manager, like, this is the type of player I am, and if I, I want to be in there, but show your metal for it. Yeah. You know, show you're willing to put yourself about. I agree. And at the moment... He's under the radar, and he just needs to step up and be account- be, be more accountable. I think that's you know, like like many players. All right, I, I, you that's think exactly they're right that they signed him. You're after saying that they signed Mount. When you look at Mount in Chelsea, he began to fall out with Havertz, and a few then began to take his place. Remember Pulisic, mm-hmm. Mount. There was a couple of lads. You would imagine that used to play in the ten. Like at Man United, you're not going to oust Bruno Fernandez from that spot. I don't think. Um, I think he's the number one in there, and to play Mount in the side. Our pal Carlos Casemiro, uh, I don't know if that's ideal for him. Like when you looked at Mount and his pomp for Chelsea, he was playing in behind the striker exactly. or maybe slightly left, slightly right. But he was definitely a more forward thinking player. Whereas I think they might be a bit like Ericsson. They're asking him to do a job he's maybe not 100% happy with to have to do a little bit more defensive than he did attacking. Because when I looked at him in Chelsea, he always had Jorginho, he had Kante, someone behind him to allow him roam and to allow him get forward. And maybe, you know, that balance at Man United isn't really there for him. And that's what I was, yeah, that's where I was going with it. Dave's right. You have to go out and you have to prove what you're worth no matter what position you're playing. And and as he said at the end, he took the words out of my mouth, that you, all those players have to do it. That's You can't just, you know, not try and perform because you're not happy in the position that you play and get out, work your arse off, earn your money and uh, play for the fans. But Manchester United have brought in, they have Fernandes, who was a good number 10. They've brought in Christian Eriksen, who was also a number 10. They've brought in Mason Mount, who was also a number 10. And Donny van de Beek, who was also a number 10 uh, and and described as many AX players as one of the best under 10s they've played with, or number 10s that they've played with. So he's trying to fit square pegs into round holes Neil by plays it's like yeah. it's like an, an I, ideally I'd love us to be able to get the ball and I'd have someone technical there and pass the ball around and it's like he's forgotten that actually football's a physical game and it's a it, you need to be physically fit uh, physically strong you need to get yourself about you need to be able to rough players up 
And I think he's forgot that. That it's just yeah, we'll just pass the ball around but and no one will go near us. Look at the teams at the top of the table, Roy, at the moment. Look at the teams at the top of the table. Like City are a very pretty team, but they work their ass off. Arsenal are adopting that approach too. Liverpool showed it for the first half an hour until they cut the man sent off. But the first half an hour of the game against Spurs and Liverpool, both teams, it was a very scrappy game, but it was interesting because both teams were pressing the hell out of it. They were working their arse off. You know, you come up against any of them at the moment, they'll get battered. 7-0 will not be a one-off. Yeah, I think as well, lads, you look at Ten Hag, I think he's consciously tried to change that United team from the Fred McTominay to defensive holding midfielders. He's tried to do a couple of different combinations, be it Casemiro and Eriksen, be it Fernandez sitting deep or whatever it is. He wants to introduce a little bit more forward thinking, a little bit more kind of players with a bit of freedom. But it is backfired because they're being overran by a lot of midfielders. Uh, a lot of midfielders but what's the biggest problem with year. that, Neil? What's the biggest problem with that when you look at the teams at the top four? The front three will defend from the top. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not having they to go at Hoyland, by the way, but Rashford doesn't, and whoever plays out right doesn't. So Hoyland's yeah. on his own. So, of course, they're exposed. And if you've got kind of number 10s, as, 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 as we're alluding to, there's only going to be one winner. So he needs to get that front three acting, acting like... You see the Liverpools and Cities and Arsenal's front three as well, where they work their ass off and then make it a little bit easier when they win the ball higher up the field and then your Fernandez's or Mounts can start doing what they're good at. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, just as a side note, lads, I didn't see the game live, but I watched, obviously, the match of day highlights and I kept watching Amrabat fell guys on the wing and barrel into guys from behind. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, Jesus, that's a strange start. I'm looking at the lineup, I cannot believe they started Amrabat a left foot. Well, I they, mean, they don't have a left. The hell is going they don't on have here? a left foot at the moment because they're all injured. He played left foot against them. Played really, really well on the Wednesday night against them. And what happened was was that they actually played left foot, but when they were attacking, he went into midfield, which let Casemiro go forward. It was oh, something. It was something crazy. different. But the fact that you're playing Crystal Palace on the Wednesday probably surprised them. But they were ready for it on the on the Saturday. So again, so. That's uh, yeah. I'm you're cons- I'm concerned about some of the decisions, and he needs to make really good decisions and change things around. I think yeah. you will see Amrabat in the centre midfield this weekend. He needs with to Casemiro. show with, with, with Casemiro. I can't see uh, with Carlos. Carlos, right, Carlos. Okay, <laughs> right. Listen, we're, we're running out of time, but we're gonna just Neil. You want to talk about the standard of goalkeeping because, uh, as you said, la- this time last year we were talking about Gavin Bazunu and Kelleher and asking which team team they get into. What is your view on the standard of goalkeeping this year? So this is something that we we have a chat about in the gaff more often than not. Now, now obviously we're Liverpool, and you watch Allison week in week out, and. The way Liverpool played, mainly towards the end of last year where we were a little bit porous and there was a lot of 1v1s in particular where Alisson was called upon. And I just think 1v1, he is just different gravy. He's brilliant 1v1. And he got Liverpool out of so many uh, quasms last year where they were just in trouble and he just got them out out of jail. And then the game went on and you might pick up a point or three points or whatever. And you think to yourself, he's worth his weight in gold. Now, my kids were asking me, you know, oh, who was the other next best goalkeeper? And I kind of went, well, actually, I remember just on the opposite end, Liverpool had David James, who used the nickname Calamity James. So how good do you think he was? But, you know, if you look back over the years, Dudek was good, but then they upgraded him with, um, with Ray, or not Ray, uh, Pepe. Then they went on, you know, it's that up and down. But to spend 75 million, what a purchase to buy Alison Becker. So then... We're watching match of the day and we're looking at some of the goals conceded and 
I think my youngest lad said to me, oh, Alison would have saved that, and Alison would have saved that, and Alison would have saved that. But I was watching a couple of the games over the weekend, I was thinking, some of the goalkeepers here are absolute bang average. So Brentford's goalkeeper, Flecken, the header came in from about 15 yards out and it bounced in front of him and under him. Turner, the Forest goalkeeper, was lobbed, which any six-foot goalkeeper may have done a little bit better. Uh, Wolves goalkeeper, Jose Sa, great with the ball at his feet, gets them into horrible uh, positions, comes out to claim the ball. You know, the old-fashioned goalkeeper used to come out and just claim everything in his box. Jose Sa comes out, misses the ball, falls on the ground, starts whinging. Dreadful goalkeeper. I think he's terrible uh, as far as aerial dominance. Um, and then you have this new age because you don't want, you know, the Pickford. You don't want these guys that can't play with a ball with their back. So now you've brought in Jason Steele. You've brought in, you know, a number of these guys. Um, Onana, which you're not either brought in now because he's better with his feet. But it doesn't mean they're better goalkeepers overall. How many people would bring back David De Gea now after watching Onana for a couple of weeks? So it's getting that balance. But for me, the goalkeeper's kind of bread and butter is making saves and making them well and getting them fingertips to the ball and protecting the goal rather than what they can do with their feet. And I just think you look back now and the reason why we're saying it was because um, Creevy and Kelleher, you might say, could be like Bazunu next where he thinks, I need to get out and get into a team. This time last year, we said there's only so that he can get into. And I'm looking at it this year and there's five or six or seven keepers who I think are absolute bang average. And I say it's, in my opinion, the best of last. I think Nick Pope off Newcastle, despite his stats, been good last year. I think he's dreadful. He looks like a guy that's never played football in his life, but as soon as the ball drops to his feet, he's indecisive, he makes crazy decisions. I think he's absolutely bang average for the top four, top five keeper. Dave, I don't think anyone will disagree that Alisson's probably the best goalkeeper in the... Premier League at the moment he's been consistent and listen everyone makes a mistake here and there and, and, that, and that happens but he's consistent and yeah he makes good saves which is which is important for the goalkeeper yes you have to be good at your feet but you, your your hands are the most important part I think you look at Ramsdale getting displaced by David Rea I think good goalkeeper as well I think he's solid what what way do you stand with Premier League goalkeepers at the moment? Like Neil, not fond of uh, Pope, not fond of Onana, and uh, didn't mention Ederson really, but uh, good goalkeeper. Solid keeper. Where, where where do you stand with them? Um, I wouldn't have gone that far to be honest, because to be honest, for me, it's more what managers think of the position now. Like somebody made a joke of it on something I re- listened to recently, where. They're trying to, it's almost like they're trying to get them out of the game and they're just going to be outfield players and like last last man keep like last man in um, <clears throat> and some guys are being brought in because they're better on the ground which is worrying that that's where managers are going because you look at Allison and the keeper that he was at the weekend if just for example let's pretend Matthew didn't score the OG he, he was arguably the reason why Liverpool got the one all. Yes, they defended like mad, but he pulled off one or two proper fingertip saves that you'd want your your keeper to do. I think for me, the most important thing for, for goalkeepers nowadays, because like defenders, they don't like crosses. They don't like doing the bread and butter that we were used to because they don't do it really in training. And I think that's one of the biggest things I notice. I've been at a few different top-level sessions where you see the keepers and they catch 
everything. Now I mean everything. You watch them in the train and warm up before the match, they catch everything. And they do everything like that. As soon as the game starts, not a danger. They won't catch nothing. And why is that? So why do you do it in practice if you're not going to do it in the match? The amount of pushing away of shots is incredible. And they don't do it in the training sessions, hardly ever. And trust me, they don't. They catch everything. And they let it spill in front of them and then they, and they put it into their belly. But for some reason, as soon as the game starts, they put their two fists together and they're afraid of their life. What's that all about? Why are you employing a, a, a goalkeeping coach if you're not willing to put into practice what you do on the field? Goalkeeping coaches, come at me all you want. I've seen it. Like, like they can try and make excuses of why that's the case. I don't care, you know. But then pan everything away. But they probably pan everything. They don't pan everything away because then they'll have to go off and run, run after the ball. But God forbid, if they, they, they won't try and catch during the game. To be honest, I think with goalkeepers, it's who makes the least mistakes because the way they play nowadays, they're being asked to be a, an outfield player. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And ironically, Alisson's probably biggest weakness is he can get himself into trouble mm. when he's trying to play out from the back. That's the only time he gets caught out on a few passes. and everything. But everything else about his game, you wouldn't really fault too much. Like obviously, he has a, a mistake in him, like some other keepers. But it's who makes the least mistakes. That's why De Gea was becoming on, was coming under the radar because he was starting to make more, them more often than not. Mm. And then Onana was brought in, obviously because it was their chance, and they thought he was better on his feet. But look at him; he definitely had plenty of mistakes in him, as a lot of them do. It's about just the level of consistency uh, overall in the general aspect of the game. I don't care about their feet. If they're a bit dodgy, they're a bit dodgy. Um, but managers worrying for me are becoming obsessed with it. And obviously, if that's the case, I don't think you're going to get the same type of top quality keeper as you're used to because they're renowned for being great goalkeepers, but they all think they're an outfielder and it's quite clear that they're not. But if you start to see a goalkeeper who looks very comfortable on the ball, I personally would be worried. If he's really, really good on the ball, I'd be worried because it's like he's obviously worked on that he mustn't be as strong in the main facets of being a goalkeeper. It's a bit like it's a, a right back now. You have to be a winger. But really, the fundamentals of your defending is lacking. Yeah. And I'm not, like, I'm thinking of Alexander Arnold there, but you could name 20 fullbacks. And it's like centre-halves now have to be centre midfielders. You know, that's why Harry Maguire is useless to most people. Like, old-school defending, he's bloody good like anyone else. But that's not allowed anymore. And it's a bit like that with goalkeeping. You're going to get probably a poorer keeper with the more emphasis of them being good on their feet. So that's the sacrifice. And unfortunately, it might be something that we have to tolerate, but it'll pull our hair out because, you know, for me, the main fundamentals is keeping the ball out, out from the back of the net. That's their main job, not that the fact they can hit 20-yard passes. Because even the guys who were good on their feet, right, just lastly, that little pop pass to the fullbacks is so slow. And because so many teams press, it's useless anyway because they don't hit it the same way an outfielder does. They put this little pop pass and it takes forever to get to the fullback. People might go, oh, it's very accurate, but it's not because they can't hit that ping the way the midfielders do. So usually they get snuffed out anyway. So yeah. is it really that important? And to be fair, that's not goalkeeper's fault. It's it's how they're being no, asked to play, no. you know. So absolutely. this is they're being forced absolutely. to play in a way maybe that they're not even being comfortable I with. I look at the managers and the coaches and how they're trying to play the game. I think that's what's leaving goalkeepers open. Yeah, I think though, Dave and Neil, when you look at goalkeepers now, a lot of them are not. You look at David De Gea when he was at Manchester United, shot stopping, unbelievable, one of the best shot stoppers ever. Um, and because that power was waning, the other powers that he didn't have, which was commanding his box and his footwork wasn't amazing, 
all of a sudden if that superpower went then he, he, he wasn't the player that he was and he was causing issues uh, Onan has come in he's really really good feet he's pulled off some good saves in fairness but he, he is a risk taker and you can't have a risk taker in in the back in the goalkeeper let alone the back line so it has to be someone who makes good decisions all the time um, I think that's why Alisson is uh, such a good goalkeeper. His shot stopping's good. It's, it takes crosses well. He commands. He talks. And yes, his only little weakness is scores, scores the odd goal as well. Scores right? the odd goal. And the only yeah. the only little weakness is maybe when he's being put under a bit of pressure on the ball. Um, and yeah. that's how, that's with all the goalkeepers. So it's the style of play that gets them in trouble most of the time. Um, Neil, I'll let you finish off. Where does Alison stand in, in the greatest goalkeepers of all time? Well, I tell you now, Roy, if he keeps doing what he's doing at the moment, for me, he, he, he's just going to be in the class of his own. He's really, like I always used to think Schmeichel was the best I've ever seen. And let's be honest, this was back in the days when you guarded your goalkeeper with your life. You had fullbacks that didn't go forward. You had centre-halves and deep-line midfielders that sat um, but Smeichel was this guy that could come up with the big saves at the big moments in the big games at the highest level. And that's why he always stuck out in my mind. He was good with the ball at his feet. He relieved pressure. He was a leader. Proper goalkeeper, come out and claim the ball. Um, but Alisson at the moment is just beginning. It's the, it's the longevity of it, isn't it? You know, you want to see him do it for another couple of years. But at the moment, he just seems to be on a different level, I think, than most keepers out there now. Ederson for City makes it look as easy. He makes it look effortless, you might say, but he's probably not called upon as much as Alisson is, and maybe that's why he goes a little bit higher. Uh, but just to finish, I because I, I was pulling out a few stats earlier on, they do this kind of a, a post-shot expected goal stat, and Alisson was plus 10 last year. Number two was Leno, plus nine, and Kepa, interestingly, plus five, which is number three. But the lowest three... We're on the flip side, and this is why Mendy lost his place at Chelsea because he wasn't saving anything. He's minus two. Navas was minus two point seven, and an interesting one of all, who ended up going to Chelsea, Sanchez off Brighton was minus two point eight, mm. and that was because he kept making mistakes yeah. playing the ball out of the back. Yeah, yeah. So you know, look, it, there's different ways of looking at it. As I say, I understand you need to have a, a different team, needs a different type of keeper, a playing keeper or a saving keeper. Pickford is my choice as the best non-football playing goalkeeper out there because he just does nothing else wax at 90 yards but he's a good shot stopper but Alisson has a little bit of both and that's what uh, makes him the king at the moment Okay, I just don't know how Pickford got in there at all but anyhow we will leave it at that Um, Dave, Neil thanks very much and for you listening thanks very much and if you want to send on any of your thoughts, you know where to send them to bkkoff96.4 at gmail.com or any of the social media. Talk to you next week.